My name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Wilton Hills Church, and it's wonderful to see all of you here on this uh, fantastic fall uh, morning to come together and just worship together and uh, study the Word together. Uh, we are every, a couple times a year doing these uh, six-week series based on the text that we're approaching as we're studying the book of Luke. And this one's on revolting beauty. The, the, the concept is basically this, that the kingdom is following the example of Jesus to manifest the beauty of God's reign against all that's ugly in the world. It's a beauty that revolts. It's also a beauty that can be considered revolting in the eyes of the world in the same way that the cross is both revolting uh, in terms of its ugliness, the innocent Son of God being crucified, and yet it's beautiful in terms of how it expresses God's love. And the, that, the beauty that he manifests revolts against the principalities and powers and, and everything in the world that is contrary to God's will. Well, our job is to model that, to live that out. And we're going to be using Luke chapter 10 as a way of doing that. During this six-week uh, time, there's just something very cool and powerful when you get the people of God all kind of thinking and praying and experiencing and growing along the same lines, rather than just being a bunch of individuals doing our own thing. So really encourage everyone to be uh, a part of this. Now into the Word. We're going to do a little study here, and then we're going to go back into another time of worship where, that will include prayer time and taking communion. Uh, we have, the last three weeks, been talking about worship and praise. This is the fourth message in a four-part series on worship and praise. We had felt that God wanted us just to take some time out of our study of the book of Luke for him to call us back to a first love passion and to up the notch in terms of our, in the intensity and focus of our praise and worship. And what we've seen the last three weeks, among other things, is that I think it's been some of the most powerful praise and worship we've ever had around here. It's been beautiful. And God's been doing some incredible stuff in the lives of people. It's just been beautiful. We've seen that, we've seen that at the core of of praise and worship is a choice. The choice is to focus 100% of our attention on who we're singing to and what we're singing about. Sometimes it's a sacrificial choice. Sometimes it takes a lot of commitment because there's a lot of things on your mind. But the essence of worship is making a decision in the now, in the present, to put aside everything else and ascribe worth to God. That's what worship and praise is. We ascribe worth to God and that's reflected by how much attention we're giving him. And so whenever we enter into praise and worship, it's about making a choice. When we make a choice to do that, we enter into the presence of God. Our, our focused worship opens up a, the windows of heaven for the Spirit of God to come down. And when the Spirit of God comes down, we encounter God in a living, vibrant, and transforming way, as many of you know. When the, when the, when the kingdom comes down, kingdom stuff starts to happen. Now, we don't worship God for the benefits, but when we worship God in spirit and in truth and with a focused mind, things begin to happen. And people's marriages are healed and the coin drops in the slot for some people and they finally get it and people are brought into the kingdom. So in a sense, we have an obligation not just to God, but to each other. To when we come together, make the choice to be focused in worship of Him. You become a conduit of blessing. It's kind of the paradox of worship. It, on the one hand, it's a very individual decision. You have to make that choice. But when you make that choice, that individual decision becomes a communal thing because now other people get blessed by what you're doing. And this is one of the things that's so powerful about corporate worship. 
there's, a, there's a dimension of blessing and kingdom reality that can happen here that doesn't happen any other way. So make the choice. Now what I want to do is cover one final, very, very important aspect of praise and worship. Um, this thing that I'm going to talk about will be, if you've been at Woodland Hills Church for less than two years, it probably will be new to you. In fact, if you're new to Woodland Hills Church, this may sound odd to you, strange to you. If you've been here for two years or longer, you've probably heard this before, and so this is more of a review, but it's going to be a very, very important review. And uh, I encourage all of us to be attentive here for the next 30 minutes and have our hearts and our minds open for what God, for what God wants to, to do here. In fact, pray with me here for a moment. God, you're about to do something huge in some people's lives. I feel that. This is an extremely important kingdom moment time. I just sense it. Holy Spirit, bringer of freedom, will you be present here and set us free? Set us free, God, to behold you in all your beauty. Cure us of our spiritual blindness so we can see you in all of your spiritual beauty. And use this message, Lord God, to create inside of us a capacity to just experience as real the things of God, the truths of God, the real Jesus. Bless this congregation. Bless, Lord God, all the parishioners who are listening right now. Just bless them. If they're running, if they're painting a house, whatever they're doing, God, use this message to bless them and transform them. And all of us, in Jesus' name, we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Here we go. I want to entitle this message, The Inner Sanctum. The Inner Sanctum. Sanctum is a word that denotes a sacred, private place. A little sanctuary. A private sanctuary. Sanctum. And what I want to say here this morning, what I want to show from Scripture, is that every believer has within them a sanctum. A, a, a sacred, private place. And in fact... It's the place where, by God's own design, we encounter the living God. This is the place where all of our information about God and about Jesus becomes reality. The inner sanctum. Let's start by looking at David in Psalm 27. David, King David says this, there's one thing I ask from the Lord, and this is the only thing that I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? So I can gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. This is the one thing. This is, David is saying, this is the main goal of my life. I want to be in the temple to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the, the beauty of the glory of the Lord was always associated with the temple. So David wants to go there to behold the Lord's beauty. Now the question I want to ask is this. How did David do that? How did he gaze on the beauty of the Lord? Because God is invisible. So he clearly isn't talking about a physical gazing, is he? There were times where God made himself visible in the Old Testament, but that's not what David's talking about here. There's a kind of gaze 
a kind of spiritual seeing, a capacity that David had to behold and be impacted by the beauty of the Lord. What I want to wonder about is how did he do that? And obviously it's very, very important because this is the main thing that he seeks. This is at the center of his spirituality. Now I think we begin to get an understanding of this spiritual gazing, which is so important. When we turn to the New Testament, there's a passage, one passage in particular, that is, I think, so profoundly important and it's also so neglected. But I want us to look at it. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, sir, would you bring up my water? Is my water down there? I think I... Yeah, could you, I appreciate that. 2 Corinthians 3. Thank you. Good God. Points in heaven for you. All right. <laughs> Paul here is drawing an analogy between blindness today and blindness in the Old Testament. More specifically, he's referring to a passage where Moses comes down off of Mount Sinai. He'd been in the presence of God, and he's glowing. And the people, he's glowing so brightly that the people can't take it, so they put a veil over Moses. And then Paul says this. Their minds were made dull. Their minds were made dull. Note the word minds. This whole passage is talking about minds. For to to this day, the same veil remains over their minds. When, when When the old covenant is read, it has not been removed. This veil over the mind has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Now you need to know that uh, uh, for ancient Jews, the heart and the mind were not two separate things. There are rather two sides of the same coin. They had a real holistic uh, conception of the human self, which is a very accurate conception of the human self. But you'll sometimes find them referring to us thinking with our hearts or pondering with our hearts or feeling with our minds. Those are not two separate things. Thoughts and emotions are wrapped up. So when Paul says on the one hand that there's a veil over their mind and on the other hand that there's a veil over their heart, he's not saying two separate things. There's a veil over their thoughts and emotions and that veil keeps them from seeing something. They're blind. Then Paul says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, that veil, the veil that's over the mind or the heart, is taken away. When you become a believer, you you are given by the power of the Spirit, a capacity to see and experience something you didn't have before. And Paul says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the freedom he's talking about, because this is what this whole passage is about, it's the freedom to see and experience something in your mind. Look what he says next. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, he's not going to explain the freedom, who with unveiled, veilless faces, we behold, and he's still talking about the mind, we behold in the mind the Lord's glory. And as we behold in our now spirit-inspired, freed mind the Lord's glory, as we do that, we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Spirit, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we, with now unveiled minds, unveiled faces, we behold the glory of the Lord. As we do that, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. This all takes place in the mind or in the heart or what we today might call imagination. 
Paul goes on and says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, three verses later. He says, Now the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see in their mind the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age has blinded their minds so they can't see in their minds the glory of God that would otherwise be shining in their minds. By contrast, Paul says, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts. That's not different than the mind. It's just the emotional part of the mind. Shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Here's what he's saying. Unbelievers can't see something that believers can see. Unbelievers can't see the glory of God displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. But we can. In our now spirit-inspired, freed-up mind, we can gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. We can gaze upon the glory of the Lord. And Paul says that's how we're transformed. As we behold his glory, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. David, we saw in Psalms 27, he longs to go into the physical temple to see the glory of the Lord. He longs to go into that sanctuary to see the glory of the Lord. But in the new covenant that we are all a part of, if we're believers, we are the sanctuary, we are the temple, and we have within us this temple where we can go and see, behold, and be transformed by the glory of God. This is so crucial, folks. So crucial. Paul is here saying that the key to transformation is doing that. You become what you see, and the place where you see it is in, this, in your mind. This is a solid biblical teaching, and I just gave you part of the evidence of that is found in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. You'll find that this teaching is there throughout the, the, the whole of the church tradition, this capacity to see and experience the Lord in, in, in uh, our minds. And yet today we hear hardly anything about it. For a lot of you right now, this is the first time you've ever heard anything like this. And let me say, if you want to explore more the biblical basis for this and more the church tradition uh, foundation for this and how to practice this, I have a book on it. It's called Seeing is Believing. And we have copies out in the gathering area. I encourage you, if you're interested, to, to get more of that. But today we don't hear much about this, this capacity to see in the mind. Uh, part of the problem is that I think we've got way too much confidence in information. We are information junkies. We, people assume that if you just learn enough facts and study enough stuff in the Bible, that that will transform you. But in fact, as some of us know from firsthand experience, information doesn't translate into transformation. In fact, I'd say the guy who knew the Bible better than anyone I've ever met in my life, it was a former professor of mine at the University of Minnesota, and he was an atheist. But boy, did he have Bible information. Brilliant. Just didn't do anything. Information itself doesn't lead to transformation. What transforms us is what we experience as real. And that you don't get by just getting more information. Our capacity to see and experience things in our mind is what we today, and in fact, this is what was called throughout church history, it's called imagination. Uh, the imagination is simply the mind's ability to experience images. Imagation. 
And I know some Christians today, for a variety of historical reasons, are paranoid about the word imagination. But as a matter of fact, you can't think without using your imagination. If I right now am thinking about my adorable wife, I'm seeing her. I, I have a picture of her in my mind. Or maybe I hear her talking. Or I just kind of sense her sweetness. But I, I'm not getting information in my head. We don't think with information. We think by replicating images. Now, if you ask me about my wife, I have to give you information because I can't give you what's actually going on in my head. But all thought involves imagination. If I ask you what's in the backseat of your car, uh, and you think about that, you'll be seeing the backseat of your car. You see, you don't get a little ticket tape of information telling you what's in the backseat of your car. You, you see, you experience in some way, and we all do it a little bit different, but we experience, we re-experience the backseat of our car. We use imagination whenever we think. So what Paul is doing here, listen to this. Paul is teaching us in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 that when you turn to the Lord, the Spirit activates your imagination to give you the, the ability to encounter the real living Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God frees your imagination, cures it from the blindness that you had before, and now you are given the capacity to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And Paul is saying that as you do that, that is the key to transformation. You will be transformed into what you see, into what you experience in your mind, in your imagination. This capacity in the Spirit-empowered seat of the imagination is what I'm calling the inner sanctum. And here is where information becomes experienced reality, and therefore, here is where the core of our transformation takes place. See, it's good for me to know about, to have information about uh, the Lord's love for me. I, that's wonderful. But it's something entirely different for me to go into this inner sanctum and in vivid, concrete ways experience the Lord's love for me. It's one thing for me to know about God's peace over me because of Calvary. That's wonderful information. But it's something very different and much more profound for me to find that inner sanctum and, and have an actual encounter, a vivid, concrete, experiential encounter with the Lord having peace over me. And it's one thing for me to know about God's joy over me, that it rejoices over me. That's wonderful information. But it's not going to change my disposition. What will change my disposition, change who I am, is when I can go into the inner sanctum and, in, and, and through the power of the Spirit, I experience in concrete, vivid, transforming ways the Lord rejoicing over me. When I can run a video of Zephaniah 3.17 and experience the Lord clapping his hands over me like it says and dancing over me like it says and singing over me like it says, now that impacts me. It makes a profound difference in my life, and I'm a little bit changed. And it's good for me to know about the glory of the Lord, but it's something very different and much more powerful to experience firsthand the glory of the Lord. And see, as I experience in the inner sanctum this freed-up space that the Spirit has created for me, as I experience God having love over me in concrete, vivid ways, I become more loving. And as I experience God's joy over me, I become more joyous. As I experience God's peace towards me, I become more peaceful. And as I experience God's beautiful, radiant, multifaceted glory shining in the face of Jesus Christ, I take on that glory from one degree to another. It's not about information. It's about transformation. And that's about experience. All the fruit of the Spirit is simply the result of God giving to us things that are His by nature. He gives to us through, uh, through grace. And that happens in this inner sanctum where information becomes experienced reality. 
Now, how does it apply to worship? Here's how it applies to worship. We've said over and over again that worship is most fundamentally about a decision we make in the now to be 100% focused, to set aside everything else and focus our whole being on who we're worshiping and the meaning of the, the music that we're worshiping him with. This, what Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians 3, is how we can do that. Especially in serene, quiet, uh, mellow worship, what we called last week romancing God. It's so important that we go in and remain in this inner sanctum and there encounter vividly and experientially the real Jesus and gaze on the beauty of the Lord and envision Jesus and envision what we're singing about. That's how we focus our mind. St. Francis de Sales, he was a 17th century uh, spiritual writer. He says the mind is like a wild bird that just flutters all about. And when you pray and that bird's fluttering about, or when you worship and the bird's fluttering about, well, you're going to be thinking about the pot roast and, and the, the car accident yesterday and the trouble you're having with the kids. And that's how the brain works. But he says, the imagination, St. Francis de Sales in the 17th century, the imagination is like the cage that we lock the bird in. And it, now we are able to focus our mind and enter into the deep spiritual realities of the Lord. I thought that maybe the best way to, to drive this home would be to illustrate it, to model this. And so what I want to do is take a few of the songs that we're going to be using in worship later on, and I just want to go through a stanza or two. And then I'll go in the inner sanctum and, and uh, just give a sample of the kind of thing the Lord can do there to make the lyrics experiential, concrete, and therefore transforming. Now I want to say this. We're all wired differently, and the Spirit is very creative, and so the Spirit will operate differently in each one of us. What I'm giving here is not a formula for how you have to do it. I just want to illustrate the kind of thing uh, that can happen as we go to the inner sanctum and, and let the Holy Spirit free us up to see in a wide variety of ways the outrageous beauty of our Lord. So one of the songs we're going to be singing is, Jesus, I Am Resting. This is a, a traditional song. It uses traditional uh, religious language, and that's good. It's good to use a diversity of styles, as we've said over and over again throughout this series. But the song says, Jesus, I am resting. Notice it's to Jesus. Jesus, I am resting. Resting. In the joy of what thou art, in the joy of who you are, I am finding out the greatness of your loving heart. Those are nice traditional sounding lyrics. But let's go to the inner sanctum. And ask the Holy Spirit to make this come alive, make it come real, to encounter the real living God. As I do that, I see myself resting in the arms of Jesus, resting. Resting in the joy of Jesus. I see myself as a little child, actually a little baby, and I'm so at peace. I'm so secure because I know that my dad is the king of the universe. And I'm resting in the fact that he's joyous, and his joy is over me. The expression on his face is the expression of a, a, a parent over a newborn baby. It's just radiant. There are many things about me right now that need to be cleaned up, but over me as a person in the core of who I am because of Calvary, he's rejoicing. 
And as I see as this little baby the joy on my father's face and feeling so at peace, I discover anew, as the song says, the greatness of his love. How great is his love? How beautiful is his love? I'm aware of the fact that he could not love me more than he does this very moment. The next stanza says this, Thou hast bid me gaze upon thee, and thy beauty fills my soul, for by thy transforming power thou hast made me whole. The song there is simply singing what we just studied in 2 Corinthians, isn't it? Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and be transformed by that. But let's go in the inner sanctum. Holy Spirit, show us the reality of this. And I see myself gazing upon Jesus. He's like in the middle of this field. But all of a sudden there's this glory, this beauty that just shines from him like the lights on the Emerald City, like a, a giant diadem being brightened with 10 million suns. There's just this glorious radiance. And I'm overwhelmed by it. I'm awed by it, like the disciples might have been on the Mount of Transfiguration. And I'm aware of the truth that all the beauty of every great work of art and all the beauty of every great musical piece and all the beauty of every sunset and all the beauty of every truly loving relationship is found, is packed into Jesus because he's the source of all of that. And I'm gazing on his beauty, his radiance, and it fills my soul. It brings this peace. I see the, the, the light of the diadem like piercing me like a laser beam. It's going right through me. Like, choo, 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 choo. but it's not hurting me. It's rather, it's filling me with his glory. And there's this peace that comes over me. And and I'm taking on that glory. I'm beginning to shine with it, and I'm being made whole. He's beautifying me with his beauty. Oh, how great thy loving kindness, the song goes on to say, faster, broader than the sea. Oh, how marvelous thy goodness lavished on me. Nice lyrics, good information, but let's go to the inner sanctum. Use our capacity that the Spirit has given to us as believers to, in this inner sanctuary, meet the living God. Vaster, broader than the sea. I, I, I see this ocean. And when I look out at this ocean, you can't see anything around the ocean. In fact, I'm aware that this ocean goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. As far as the east is from the west, that's how broad God's love is, how broad his loving kindness is. It's just immense. It's mind-boggling. It's unfathomable. You can't possibly begin to get your mind around it because your mind is finite. And I'm aware that this is not just God's love in a general sense. This is God's love for me. He loves me as much as if I was the only person that was ever created. It's all on me. And he lavishes me, this song says, he, he lavishes me in this. And 
and then I see like this ocean and this is a little bit bizarre but sometimes the stuff that goes on in our head is, is beautifully bizarre I see this ocean like being lifted up and now being turned like upside down and coming over me and all of a sudden it like it's funneled all on top of me there's this like giant waterfall falling down on me and all the weight of this love is just pounding me. This massive, infinite tonnage of oceanic love is pouring down on me. It's saturating me. It's drowning me. It's crushing me. I can't come up for air. It's relentless. It couldn't be more powerful. It couldn't be more beautiful. It couldn't be more re relentless. It couldn't be more perfect. And it's pounding me. It's lavishing me in this love. I'm saturated, surrounded, drowning in this love. And that is what is true. And as I can see this, I feel this, I'm experiencing this, and it's changing me in a way that information never could. Illustrating just how the Spirit can work in our minds, in our hearts, when we open up to Him and allow Him to create this inner sanctum. Another song that we're going to be worshiping with in a few minutes here is at the foot of the cross. And let me just read two stanzas from this. Beautiful, beautiful song. Holy Spirit, make this come alive. At the foot of the cross, where grace and suffering meet, that's where you've shown me your love. Through the judgment you received. And you've won my heart Yes, you've won my heart. When I go into the inner sanctum, there I, I am all of a sudden at Calvary. I'm at the foot of the cross. And I look up at the cross and I see the agony of Jesus. I see the way he's been tortured. I see the crown of thorns on his head and the spikes in his wrists and ankles and the blood and water gushing out of his side and the pain he's in but even more the spiritual agony he's in as the wrath and judgment against all sin the wrath of all the fallen powers is on him and I realize that I should have been there but he chose to be there so that I'm never going to be there I see I see now that this is the ex expression of love, the expression of grace, the place where grace and suffering meet. And as I see this love, he loves me this much, this much, Calvary much. At the foot of the cross, I, I hear myself saying, you win, you win. I give up, I quit resisting, uncle can't take it any longer. You've won my heart. You've won my heart. I'm yours. I surrender. And the song goes on to say, now I can trade these ashes in for beauty and wear forgiveness like a crown. Coming to kiss the feet of mercy, I lay every burden down. If I stay in the inner sanctum as I sing those lyrics or listen to those lyrics, the picture the Lord gives me is 
is that the Spirit sets me free to see concretely, vividly, transformingly the spiritual truth of what we're singing. And I see myself carrying a, 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 a huge sack, and it's a, it's a sack full of ashes, a sack full of soot. It's dirty, it's grimy. I'm dirty and grimy. There's like this smoky ash stuff all over the places I'm walking, and I'm I'm just overwhelmed by the weight of this, these ashes. I'm bending over and walking in a real sluggish way. And I'm aware, I'm aware that those ashes, that sack represents all of my failures. All of the mistakes that I've made. All the massive pain I may have caused others. It represents all my sin. It represents all my self-centeredness. And I'm dirty and filthy and overburdened by this weight. And then I see myself looking up and right before me is Jesus. And he's got this wonderful smile. And he says, I'll trade you. If you give me those ashes, I'll give you my beauty. It's the perfect beauty of being the son of God. I'll give you my beauty. And then he takes this, the, the sackcloth, the sack off of my shoulders and he puts it on his shoulders. And suddenly he's full of covered, he's covered full of soot and grime. And then he reaches up and places on my head this crown. And the minute the crown touches my head, the ashes are gone. I'm perfectly clean. In fact, I have a sort of glorious light shining from me. And the crown simply says, forgiven. Forgiven in full. And the thing is, is that usually if you've done something massively, painfully wrong, and a person forgives you, you still feel some shame, and you feel the need to grovel. But I don't now. Because Jesus says, you wear that forgiveness like a crown. You are a king, a forgiven king. And your royalty is in the forgiveness. Your royalty is in the forgiveness. So you lift your head high. There is no shame. There is no condemnation. I don't care how heavy that sack was, how dirty you were. There is no shame. Because the God of the universe has crowned you with forgiveness. And you wear that forgiveness like a crown. You've traded in your ashes for forgiveness like a crown. And I'm freed of this weight and I'm clean. And I realize this is eternal. So I fall at his feet and I kiss the feet of mercy. I've been given mercy. In gratitude, I realize that I just was relieved a debt I could never possibly have ever paid. And now I'm free. I don't have a care in the world. I lay every burden down, realizing my eternal destiny is forever changed, and I'm enveloped in love for Jesus Christ. That's what I mean. Something like that is what I mean about going to the inner sanctum. And every believer has the capacity to do that. It can look a lot of different ways, but I want to encourage us now to let the Holy Spirit direct us to this place. As we go into this worship set now, 
Let the Holy Spirit make this real for you. See, hear, sense in this inner sanctum the reality of who we're singing to and all of his beauty and what we're singing about. We're going to start by taking up an offering because offering is the quintessential expression of worship. And so I want to ask the worship team to come forward. And when we're done with this, then I'll come up and give further instruction about how we're going to take communion together and how we're going to minister uh, and be ministered to in prayer and worship together. And so, Lord, freedom, Spirit, you are the freedom bringer. Bring your freedom. Set us free to see. Set us free to gaze. Set us free to, to know the beauty and the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, set us free for the information we know to become reality that we experienced. And be glorified here in this next 40 minutes and minister to your people. Bring massive healing as we now offer up these gifts of praise in Jesus' name. Amen. just ask, Lord, as we depart this place, we ask that, Father, your spirit will stay with us, Lord God. Father, walk with us every step of our lives, Lord God. Father, I pray that today, Lord God, would be the start of a new envisioning of you, Lord, that we will never, we'll see you differently than we've ever seen you before, that we will feel you deeper than we've ever felt you before. Father, stay with us throughout this week. I ask that you bless these brothers and sisters, Lord God, as they leave this place. To you be all the honor, glory, dominion, and power forever and ever. And all the saints say, hallelujah. Go in peace. Saints, go and build the kingdom. God bless you.